This is Purple Radio On Demand. Okay, hello, hello. Um, so I think before we get into it, we'll just go around introducing uh, ourselves. I'm Sanya. I will be here as a silent observer and slash interviewer slash moderator of, you know, everyone here. And um, with us, I think we have Ryan, Olivia and Miriam, lovely writers, incredibly talented. And I will let them kind of go on and introduce themselves. Uh, hi, I'm Ryan King, writer of The Republic of Eric. Shall I introduce the play or just myself? Uh, no, I think go ahead, talk about your play as well. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll give the logline. The, it's set in a micronation called the Republic of Eric, and the guy who founded it, called Eric, is now dead, and his children have to decide what to do with it. Oh, wow. It does sound really intriguing. Miriam? Hi, I'm Miriam. I am the writer of Grace, um, which is basically a series of monologues linked thematically by, surprise, surprise, the theme of Grace. Um, and it's sort of about the, the everyday acts of Grace. Um, and I think I'd probably sum it up um, as being a show about voices and choices. Um, and it features 11 different voices that I think would often be in the shadows, but I was sort of intrigued to, to bring them to the front of the stage. And Olivia. Hello, I'm Olivia. I am the writer of Alone at the Edge of the Universe, uh, which is a short film type play uh, set during the end of the world. The end of the world has happened, the planet's in ruins, and there are very few survivors. But we get to see uh, life from the perspective of one of the survivors who talks about their experience and their thoughts throughout the whole thing. Wow, that sounds lovely. Quite, quite a lot of dystopia, which makes a lot of sense because of the theme uh, this year and just general circumstantial, you know, in the situation we're all kind of in. Um, yes, I think before we kind of uh, get into it, uh, you know, we thought it'd be interesting if you kind of spoke about your writing style and what your usual process is. Because I know a lot of you have written before. I know uh, Ryan's written for Butter Toast, if I'm not wrong. And I'm sure you've written other stuff as well. And uh, how was writing this year? Uh, or 2020 different than your usual process and you know how did kind of your external affect your entire process and what is your kind of usual process uh, comparatively? Right, it, it didn't have any impact on my process at all it just meant I had more time for it is the uh, thing. Normally I uh, normally I spend a long time which cannot be like several years um, just accumulating ideas and then I get them all together and then I say theme dictates character arcs dictates plot and then then I have a play so that, that's that's my my is a bit too, I think it's probably too methodical um, but yeah it, it does sound very organized are, are you are you guys as organized because I know when I write I'm definitely more of a oh I have these things in my head I'm just gonna kind of jot them down uh, but what about, are, are you guys? Um, I'm definitely not as organised as Ryan, <laughs> I have to say. No, um, I'm, I'm similar in the sense that um, this year I've had a lot more time to do writing. And because usually, similarly um, to you, I think, um, I just sort of rush, scribble something down if I have a quick idea. And I've got so many things saved in notes, but it's all very random and all just sort of a bit of an explosion of random ideas. Um, whereas what was one of the real positives of lockdown was that I did have time to actually sit down, even if it was was 1am which it usually was um, but to actually just sit down and do some writing and I, I did a writing course towards the beginning of lockdown and um, that was really really helpful I think in just sort of um, giving me a bit of inspiration and a bit of flair to just really really go for it and I did just find that that the time in lockdown um, made made a real difference but I, yeah I would definitely say compared compared to Ryan my method is very chaotic um, but um, but yeah that's that was sort of my my general process what about you Liv? Um, well I I'm comparatively a complete newbie to this this is the first piece of completely original writing that I've actually completed um, and my experience actually comes entirely from writing fan fiction um, so this is very different and what I like what what kind of the effect that the pandemic has had on my writing has actually given me an opportunity and the inspiration 
to do some original writing. Um, and this is the first time I've kind of had a solid original idea that I've been interested enough to actually see through to completion. Um, so it's, it's really interesting because we all three of us seem to be at very different stages of kind of our journeys as writers. Um, and it's, it's been, it's definitely been a learning experience for me. So I'm, I'm very grateful for this opportunity. Mm, mm, definitely. No, I, I totally agree. And I think, um, one of the things that I found as well, I don't know if you guys found this was that because of the time that lockdown gave us, it also, uh, gave me a lot more time to notice things. So I, I don't know whether again, it was the same, but I found that inspiration came from very unusual places. I think one, one monologue started from a line from a Taylor Swift song, which was very rogue. And another can, one can was inspired by, one? oh, of course, it was actually from her new album, Folklore. Um, there's a song called um, My Tears Ricochet. And the first line is, I didn't have it in myself to go with grace. <laughs> and I just thought it was a really interesting stimulus so I just sort of went with it um and another one was from a Tom Hanks film so um so it's all very very rogue but I think um, it because of lockdown we had so much more time to be listening to music and watching things and noticing things didn't we I don't know if you guys found the same thing yeah I I was but I was quite angry at myself with this because it's I always get annoyed when something has influenced me but I haven't noticed so I watched Succession sort of while I was writing this and then afterwards I was like oh wait hang on I know where this has come from now this is just succession in a completely different environment yeah yeah what one of the actors actually um in Grace said to me at one point he said oh I read this line and I thought is this from Hamilton and I thought oh yes it is. Um, and so I I do the, the same thing as well you don't realize how it feeds into it do you sometimes <laughs> Yeah, some of my inspiration has actually come from stuff that I've, like, documentaries and videos that I've watched from years ago. And I've had the chance during lockdown to kind of go back and re-watch some of this stuff. And I'm like, actually, this is pretty interesting. I might use this. And it's it's something that I've kind of had in the back of my head for maybe years. And it's all kind of come together in this conglomeration of thoughts that have kind of made me as a person. Mm. I think another very interesting thing about writing this year was that even you know before the lockdown uh, was announced, everyone sent in either a, sent in a very minimalistic type of theater in the sense that uh, you know they, it was either monologues or dialogues and it was a social it is meant to be a socially distanced play. So w- what was that like? What was kind of writing uh, a play where you know characters can't physically actually touch each other? Because I know Grace, you did monologues that makes it a whole lot easier um i think all but what about what about uh the other uh two of you guys uh well mine is again a one-person show and it centers very much around the theme of isolation and loneliness because this one character sam is essentially alone um at the very end of the world and it 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 kind of documents their kind of loneliness in a sense and it's it's very um it, it's very kind of in tune with I think how a lot of people have been feeling at this time because people are very isolated in a sense that even when they're with people you have to social distance as there's, there's very kind of minimal contact physically with people so it's it's kind of exploring that in a sense and what about you, Ryan? Was socially distanced theatre at, you know, did it affect you at all in terms of when you were drafting your script? The the only thing it affected was the, the character limit. Um, I, and I guess I didn't, I don't know whether this was a conscious or unconscious, but like there, there's no, there was no need for touching, but I think there maybe wouldn't have needed to be one anyway. Um, so, but essentially it's um, three main characters and then several incidental characters all played by the same actor and if it wasn't um social distance then the incidental characters would have been played by different actors but that's sort of the uh the only big difference lovely um i think going off of this kind of theme uh you know on the, this topic about the pandemic uh you know Obviously, the lockdown was announced, I think, January. And before that, everyone kind of just, the entire process, every, I mean, it was all, 
everyone expected DDF to kind of go through as a live thing and for it to all be done because everyone thought, you know, by February, everything is going to start to go back to normal. And then suddenly, you know, this kind of bomb was dropped. So what was it like adapting? Because I know your play, as you thought of it at, at its inception, was probably very different from what the final product is currently. So what was, how was it kind of this constant, the changing of your play? The, I mean, the dynamic nature of this year's kind of, uh, you know, events. How was that? Was there anything that, or, or did you reach a point where, you know, you contemplated not doing it at all uh, or, you know, adapting it in a different way? Uh, what was that like for you guys? Olivia? Um, yeah, for me, it kind of came as a blessing in disguise, really. Um, it was actually surprisingly simple to change the the layout of of uh, of my show because originally it was kind of staged as a stage play and the only thing that really changed was in the stage play um Sam found a voice recorder and recorded their voice on that but um in uh, we changed it so that it was instead a an old abandoned phone and um it could turn into kind of a series of video diaries and i think that actually um improves the kind of authenticity of the play because you get to see uh sam's emotions up close and personal and i've been working with uh imogen marchant my actor who is incredible and um plays the character so well and so understandingly and you get to see all of those emotions uh really up close and it's it's very kind of raw mm -hmm. oh, that was very convenient just to... <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> yeah i i do agree though i do think it it adds this sort of intimacy doesn't it and i think um i think obviously throughout the whole of this pandemic experience the the number one thing has been changed that almost you can't plan for more than five minutes in the future i think because anything could change at any point and so i think obviously when the situation with ddf um changed very quickly and um, we sort of had to have a number of prod teams to think and adapt and work out how we were going to do it and i know one of the things that that we decided to do was um, get the actors to send in takes of their monologues as well as online Zoom rehearsals, which are obviously always an interesting vibe. Um, but we realised that we needed to assess the acting and also the tech because we were now we were now sort of creating this online filmed series rather than what we initially imagined. So that was an interesting extra layer. And I think I think also one of the one of the other things we had to just navigate slightly um, was various Amazon Prime costumes and props that suddenly had to be sent up and down the country and I remember there was a particular moment when my assistant director who was Flo Lunnan who's amazing and I we suddenly realized that the the actor who was specifically in need of a costume lived in Guernsey and we had about 48 hours to get him the costume <laughs> so so we had a bit of a oh um we need to get this sorted ASAP uh, situation so I think obviously there are there are moments like that but in some ways it has been um I agree with you Liv quite exciting and 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 interesting to have to adapt and have to think outside the box and think of of um, other creative ways to to still tell the story. I don't know, Ryan. How did it affect your show? Uh, well, we went down the, the audio drama route because I I think monologues work better filmed. But when you actually have to have two characters interacting with each other, you can't like to have two different screens. Um, it doesn't work so well. And we initially thought of going down the route of just having a um like a rehearsed read through or something. And that's that's good. That's a good showcase of writing and a good showcase of acting. But it's not like a a finished product. And I was sort of keen to like bookend this this project because I I didn't I don't really intend to do anything with this beyond DDF. It was sort of written for DDF partially, sort of because of the theme. And audio drama was a good way to do it. And then it turned out coincidentally it worked very well in audio drama. I was um. I was initially panicking a bit when I was trying to figure out the blocking back when it was still going to be staged, and then audio drama. That's all. That's all fine. Um, so I just went through and I just, you know, turned all of the stage directions into either sound effects or bits of additional dialogue. And it, there were so many bits that, like, completely by accident, just worked coincidentally. So one thing that that you probably should do if you're writing an audio drama is 
if you want to like if you want to use a sound effect for dramatic effect or in a dramatic moment try and use it earlier on and set it up and that's obviously something you should do in any medium but when it when the only thing you have is sound you have to do it with more specific things um so there's like they're sort of sat around a table and at one point someone sort of gets up angrily and you hear the sort of screech of the chair fortunately that scene started with them all sitting down so you already heard those screeches so you know what that is and if I just started the scene with them already at the table then you'd be like wait what was clicking? wait I didn't even realise they were at a table (laughs) (laughs) and has it made you want to write more audio dramas in the future um I, I was I was already working on one, so this has been a oh, good oh. trial run. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like quite a lot of audio dramas, have, um, the the way they do it is they rehearse over Zoom, but then they do the recording separately to try and get a better recording. Um, but we did it all on Zoom, recording at the same time, and it was actually it it actually worked pretty well. Um, so I think I'd definitely do that. Yeah, that's really interesting uh, that you brought up audio drama because that was uh, one of the questions I thought you know we'd address because I know all of you are very extensively involved in DST. Uh, you know, Darren's really taken to radio drama. I don't know how many of uh, I know Ryan's Ryan's done sound editing. He's been in a bunch of kind of audio stuff. Uh, but how I mean, what has been what was your what has been your reaction to kind of this like take on like radio that's just taken over? And it's incredible how we've kind of managed to find something to latch onto in terms of theater now that you know live and most normal kind of theater isn't possible. So how how what has been your reaction to it? I think it's been really awesome. Um, I I think the, this kind of whole revival of the audio drama has been pr- pretty cool because you have like you know, classic, like, the archers you have on, like, Radio 4 if you're in the car and you just need something to listen to as, like, white noise. Um, but they always seemed fairly old-fashioned, so the return to them, um, kind of the opportunity to return to them is a really, really lovely way to continue on with theatre. I'm uh, currently uh, involved with the uh, Doctor Who audio drama uh, that's happening with uh, Doctor Who Society, um, and that's been a learning experience for quite a few of us um, because it's something I'd, I've never really done before but it's I've really enjoyed it and I think uh, we'll hopefully have the opportunity to kind of carry on doing uh, audio dramas and stuff as well because it's it's nice even mm. like if even if we have venues available in the future um, it kind of it it's something that you can do from home so you don't even need a, a venue or something like you can listen to it from home it's just it, it's very accessible mm. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it just opens up a whole new realm of storytelling, doesn't it? And um, I also, similarly to Liv, I, I'd never done a, an audio drama before, but um, last summer I was in The Marley Stones, which was written by Izzy Flower, and I was playing a character with the description, quite old, stranger than she looks, which I thought for a radio play, um, I didn't know whether to be insulted or um, it was a compliment, I don't know, um, but, um, but I had so much fun and it was just so exciting to get back into some sort of rehearsal. And I think, as, as Liv says, it just um, is a very very versatile medium um, and I think that it also gives the listener a lot of freedom to imagine the characters and and very much see the story uh, through their own eyes by listening as well which I think is is exciting and I think it's a really cool thing to uh, be able to be involved in. got the word radical in it twice (laughs) it's that radical
Um, yeah, I mean, again, I wasn't really consciously aware of the theme uh, when I was writing this down. The idea came to me solely independent of the theme and I kind of ran with that. But what I found is that, again, much like yours, it did kind of weave its way into uh, into the script in the sense that we are currently living through radical times and what is even more radical would be if the world suddenly ended. And I came, I came up with this kind of hypothesis that these kind of situations, such as being isolated, being alone with your thoughts, can actually produce these radical voices. So if, like, you picture Sam alone in a room and you see them think through a lot of things just out loud, vocally, um, and that kind of leads them to this big epiphany towards the end. And I won't reveal it because I don't want to spoil the, the, the play. But um, you literally see that process of them thinking through and being alone with their thoughts live, uh, which is really interesting. It's, it's kind of the, the thought that situations like these can produce some pretty cool things. Um, and I think that's what DDF is really about this year. Uh, the fact that, you know, we're all creating and trying to bring back theatre despite still being in lockdown. It's, it, it, we're trying to, you know, look on the bright side of things and be inspirational, which I think is really cool. What about you, Ryan? I, I was just going to ask you, Liv, sorry, how, lo- how long did it take you to write your show? Um, it took me about three days before the DDF deadline. Uh, it was very much a kind of, I'm just going to write down some words and end up being like a seven page long monologue and half of it didn't make sense. So I was, <laughs> I was quite surprised when I got the, got the phone call that I'd been uh, chosen and I was like, oh, right, okay, I actually have to edit this and make it make sense. <laughs> no. I, how about you ryan I, I can't remember i i vaguely remember like that i was working on something else and then i was like oh no the ddf deadline is looming so i should probably work on this but i can't remember when it actually was but what if what about the theme uh in your in the republic of eric and is it was it like a conscious thing or did it just kind of come about it was sort of i'd already been working on it before the theme came out and I was like because you don't you didn't have to um connect to the theme um but there there were definitely choices in there that I think I wouldn't have made were it not for the theme that I think would have been a bit too radical if it wasn't in a festival with the theme of being radical but it's not really um it's not so much radical voices for radical times as more as just radical voices whenever there's no there's no it's definitely nothing to do with coronavirus or anything like that but um so it's one of the main themes is like what is a nation state and i guess it's a bit weird what radical actually means because sometimes radical just means different from the norm but it might even actually be an opinion that is held by a lot of people but because it's quite far away from what is currently accepted as the actual thing that's done it is quite like in america like gun control would be radical right um so yeah it's it's quite a vague theme you can sort of tie quite a lot to it but yeah it is it is very broad um yeah another question i had in mind thought it'd be interesting to ask which players are you guys looking forward to the most uh to watch personally besides your besides your own obviously i mean i know you like your own players but yeah I I don't think I've actually listened to mine all the way through, which is quite weird. I edited it scene by scene and then attached all the scenes together, so I actually haven't listened to it yet. Uh, but I I was most excited for, uh, I think, Degenerate, um, and also and also Alone at the Edge of the Universe, just because I quite like one man or one woman shows. I I don't know if that was a tact- tactful thing you did there. I'm, just, I'm gonna take it as a compliment. Harry unfortunately couldn't be here, but uh, Degenerate is also kind of similar in tone, I think, uh, to 
Alone at the End. I think both. All I think all of them have similar tones because they're all monologue and there's, they're all kind of, and there's a theme. But um, yeah, uh, yeah. What about what about you, Miriam? Which one? What are you looking forward to watching the most or listening to? I'm really excited to see all of them actually and I think um the I know I know it's a universal answer I I am I am also very excited to see Degenerate because I've seen the trailer and um I know that Ben Smart who is playing D he is absolutely amazing so um so I'm very excited to see that one as well but I think when the posters were all released I thought it was really cool because they all looked so different um so it is a very generic answer um but I am excited to see them all um but I think yeah the the trailer for Degenerate looks absolutely amazing I can vouch for it I'm part of the prod team so I can vouch for it Yeah, I mean, in comparison to Alone at the Edge, um, I, I'm also really interested to see how uh, people over at Degenerate have kind of adapted to putting on a one-person mm-hmm. show uh, in these times. Um, and I'm also, as a bit of a Shakespeare nut, I'm quite, in, I'm quite excited to, to see The Lovers. Oh, yes. Um, mm. I, I think that whole um, kind of thing of adapting a comedy into something a little bit more darker and mysterious uh, it's really interesting, so I'm I'm very excited to see how they've done that. I'm actually the most excited to see Grace because I'm I'm reviewing. It, so, <laughs> Thank you, know. you, excellent answer, <laughs> excellent answer. <laughs> they don't actually care about the play. It's just I wanna I need to because I'm have to review it. <laughs> no, I I really am. I feel like I feel like Grace has a different tone to a lot of. Cause I feel like a lot there's a lot of dystop dystopic kind of vibes going around EDF. Most of the plays seem to have this kind of like looming, uh, you know, even from the, from the, like the, the titles of the play, you know, we have Alone at the Edge of the Universe, we have Degenerate, (laughs) you know, all of Death Death of a a Disco disco Dancer. It is very, I mean, understandably so, but everything seems really dark. So I I mean, the only reason I signed up, you know, for First Night Grace is because I feel like I need some, you know, positive uh, energy going through. So, Yeah. Um, yeah, do you guys have anything else that you want to address? Because that's basically it on my list, but... Uh, yes, that's a that's a very good question. Yeah, so um, basically, as I said, because the inspiration was very random and came at very random times, I definitely wrote them um, in sort of random bursts. And then I wrote them in a specific order. And some of them, the first one that I wrote and the last one I wrote are still the first and the last. Um, but the the middle... A group I went through with Flo and we worked out we looked at the different moods and the different atmospheres and reordered and we had about five different orders written out and then picked the one that we thought worked the best overall just to create the most contrast basically and then I also relatively recently I think this is probably uh, due to adapting to being online as well I wrote an epilogue um, which we got all the actors to record and then we've edited in um, different actors saying different lines because we thought it could be a bit of a an, an actors coming together a unified moment at the end as their sort of online curtain call um, so so that was quite fun to do and, and in the editing room did take a significant amount of time and um, luckily one of my my housemates called Harry Clipston he was our tech genius so that was very useful um but a lot of late night zoom calls working that out but um but yeah so so we I had some ideas for order but we definitely played around with that and brought the epilogue in at the end to uh to sort of hopefully tie everything together do, do you always write your scenes in order um yeah well as I said before I normally have quite a good outline but what I, what I was quite proud of with this was um, I sort of realised part way through that the outline wasn't going to work because of how I'd written the characters and then I had to change the outline um, but I normally do write start to finish even if like even if it's not very good and then I'll just revise later So do you usually do a whole draft and then go back and edit or do you edit per scene? Uh, I, I normally go whole draft just because that way it's like when you get back to the beginning again it's you've had sort of time to think about it 
think yeah i think redrafting is a good question because do you guys do a lot of kind of re-editing and redrafting because i'm the kind of person who writes and edits along the way but i know that's a different process for everyone i mean how do you guys do a lot of editing or is it more organic i think this is the most editing that i have ever done ever <laughs> like i'm i i send in i'm the type of person who sends in first drafts for my summer tips it's it's that bad um but yeah with this i definitely had to do quite a bit more uh, editing to kind of make a coherent piece that actually kind of made sense both kind of syntactically and also thematically so i, I went through kind of reordered a, a few bits because um, a lot of it was kind of scattered ideas. I just kind of put in like, oh yeah, this this would work in this particular scene. Um, and I was I ended up really struggling quite a bit with the endings. I didn't know how to end it originally. Um, the classic. <laughs> it's <laughs> the classic dilemma. Um, so yeah, I ended up inserting basically half an entire scene um, after I submitted it uh, during the Christmas holidays. Um, so I was I was editing really that late. Um, so yeah, it, it was it was it was a lot. Well, that's quite common with um, drama festival is that the the script sent in is normally not the one that comes out. I think I had had like three drafts before submission, and then I did another draft after over the holidays, and then I had to adapt that into an audio drama. So I think about five versions in total. Mm-mm. yeah yeah I agree and I think um the endings is a really good point as well Liv because that just reminded me that um with one of my uh monologues which is called payment um I wrote two different final lines and that changes the entirety of the monologue and the character interpretation because it's all based on a choice um that this particular character makes it set in world war one and he's a soldier and um and and I wrote two different final lines and I couldn't decide exactly which way I wanted him to swing and then I thought um from a performer's perspective because I I love doing performing with DST as well and that's sort of where I'm most at home really I thought that if I was acting it I would love the chance to get to choose and work out what the character what I thought the character um would most naturally go for so um I left both lines in and then through rehearsals with the actor we discussed various different interpretations and worked out which one came most naturally and that was a really interesting process um handing that freedom over slightly but I do think sometimes when you've got various ideas floating around and you've got to pin down that ending it does take a bit of grafting doesn't it I had that with the uh I had that with that's the audio a, a... drama process. Uh, there were several occasions where I'd record it in two different ways and then decide in the edit. So it, the editing goes way beyond even the script nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh... Well, it has been a really nice experience. It's kind of being able to work collaboratively with actors. Like, even in the auditions, it was so interesting seeing, like, all the different ways people interpreted this one piece that I, I put down. It must have been about like 20 people reading the same paragraph over and over and there were so many different ways that you could interpret it and then like once we'd like had the um once we casted it we'd um we'd spent a lot of the rehearsal time just literally going over like line by line like what do you think this means how um what's kind of the story with this what is sounds motivation uh in this particular paragraph and it was it was very valuable actually getting um, the actor's kind of uh, interpretation of that. And what I really wanted to kind of bring forward was the actor's own voice and uh, Imogen rose to that task really, really admirably. Um, And yeah, we spent so much time just literally looking at particular paragraphs. Um, And uh, the the whole process of that I think really um, worked in our favour. Mm. Yeah, I completely agree that I found during, well, I found the whole audition process a bit of an out-of-body experience. Um, And just the fact that people were even reading something I'd written, I basically passed out, I think, every time. Um, But I I completely agree that I think um, it was so interesting to see what different people brought to the characters and so many things that I would never have thought of that I was basically noting down to think, oh, we'll use that, oh, we'll use that. Um, so, So that was really cool. And I I remember there was 
one particular monologue that when I wrote it, I very much had a female voice in my head, but then a number of the guys chose it for the auditions. And in the end, we cast a male actor and it's completely, again, changed the whole feel of it. But I'm, I'm so glad that they chose it and took it out of my head and made it real in that way. And um, so I, I completely agree that, yeah, as I say, I basically passed out at every audition. Um, but that... Um, I definitely found that people brought loads of things that I had never even vaguely thought of. I don't know, was that the same for you, Ryan? Uh, not, not really. I, I was just like, right, let's just get through this. And just <laughs> see what happens. Yeah. Write down, can they act? Yes or no? And then that's it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, it was a grueling process, wasn't it? It was hours and hours yeah. on Zoom. So I think, yeah, snacks were the way to survive. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think I think that was like oh, happened on my birthday or something because I had I had like a birthday cake for the whole time. <laughs> no way. Which like I no offered way. to my housemates, but nobody like wanted any. So I ate like, an entire birthday cake. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I think we did one stint that was seven hours long with one eight-minute break in it. And so I think Flo and I basically drifted out of our um, our bedrooms, you know, as if we were coming up from being underwater for about eight minutes, grabbed as much chocolate as we could and then <laughs> carried on. Um, so, yeah, it was it was intense, wasn't it? But, um, but amazing. I mean, well, I, I didn't do DDF last year, so um, I mean, you guys would probably know uh, what, how, how much, how, I mean, I'm sure it was very different this year auditions, like, you know, you guys are saying, but what is it on a usual basis that you kind of missed this year um, in terms of like the audition process? It's more chaotic when it's not over Zoom, because um, I wrote a DDF play last year as well, um, and that's like, it's all in the same building uh, and a lot of people just going from sort of room to room auditioning for loads of different things um, and then for the, the callbacks that's where it's sort of more chaotic because um, basically everybody's like rehearsing in, in corridors because people are rehearsing with each other and stuff um, and yeah so it was a little bit more organised when you can just put everyone in breakout rooms but yeah that's that's actually, I would have never expected that. I would have 100%, because Zoom auditions in general, the consensus has been that it's, you know, quite the messy situation in terms of our callbacks and everything. Uh, but yeah, w- what about you What about uh, you guys? What did you think of, like, the audition process and stuff? Um, well, I... Um, this is, like, kind of my first time taking part in, like, DDF's general programme. Um, I didn't do it last year or in my first year. I was in... Uh, like a two-minute scene in Scratch Night uh, last year, um, and I've heard horror stories about DDF's uh, general program auditions, with like hundreds of people crowded into Albert Riverside, um, and queues forming for hours. Um, so I don't know how true that is or not, because I've always been a little bit frightened to go down there myself and see. Um, but it's <laughs> it it it's different I wouldn't say necessarily better because there is a tendency for people to kind of pile up in the waiting room um and you just see these names appearing it's like oh okay someone's here um so it's definitely it's it's definitely different um and it's it's a bit it is a bit weird because you don't get the sense of kind of loudness and you if you're I, I imagine if you're kind of in the waiting room there's a kind of a lot of apprehension because you're like, when are they going to let you in? And you don't know how many people are going to be auditioning for it, how many people you're up against, how good those people are. So it's it's definitely something to something that you know we've had to get used to. Yeah, yeah, I was similar in the sense that last year I was a fresher and um, didn't really have a clue what was going on. And I was involved in another show at the time of DDF, so I missed all the auditions. Um, But I did go and see some of the the shows, which was really exciting. Um, But I I think online auditions, for me anyway, I definitely found that they were a good multitasking challenge because we had a spreadsheet up where we were writing all our various thoughts and feedback. And... 
um, Flo and I had an emoji language going on our group chat so then we knew who was going to redirect because we knew we only had eight minutes to, so to save time Flo would send me the sort of hand in the air emoji if she was going to redirect otherwise I'd do it and most of the rest of the chat was her in capital letters telling me that I had one minute and to shut up and stop rambling um, so um, so it was a good <laughs> multitasking challenge and then if people arrived in the waiting room at, at the time that was a little bit too early or a bit too late or whatever then messaging them whilst watching and doing the spreadsheets and the group chat so I am um, I it definitely was it was a multitasking challenge but um a good one I think and I think um as Ryan says in some ways you have more control of it and um, because you just mm. can see who's there and see who's on your screen and and keep working through I think probably the the thing that I found the hardest with the slight tendency to ramble in case you haven't noticed um, was just keeping to that time um, but luckily I had I had Flo to send me capital letter messages to remind me um, but I think um, that that was our biggest challenge. <laughs> I think yeah I mean you know you it's it sounds like you had like a wonderful like working relationship with you know your pro team Miriam which kind of brings me to like I know when it's all kind of virtual and it's all over zoom uh, you don't necessarily bond as much as a you know team, and that can be you know that's something you know you do tend to miss out. And did did you guys feel that uh, more uh, than kind of working in actual live theatre plays, you know, uh, before COVID? Um, well, I was fortunate enough to have worked with um, both of my product my fellow product team members before. Um, uh, Evie Press, my assistant director, um, assistant direct uh, directed uh, with me. Uh, on the Fresher Showcase uh, in November um, of last year, and so I got I got to know her through that, and um, it was really lovely working with her because I felt sometimes that she understood what I'd written better than I did. Um, and then uh, Danny, my producer, I'm co-president with her of Tone Deaf Theatre Company, so I've uh, worked with her a lot, and she's always been a queen of admin. Um, and I had never worked with uh, Imogen before, but we uh, ended up rehearsing uh, for about a solid week, um, almost every single day for about an hour or so. And in that, because we talked so much about kind of the deeper aspects of a character, you kind of get this kind of, I wouldn't say telepathic, but almost kind of, you, you start thinking, you start working out how, how someone thinks and you get to know someone very well with how according to like how they interpret this this character um and we messaged each other a lot with kind of how things were going kind of admin wise because i had to send her off to do a lot of filming herself because we couldn't be at the same place at the same time uh, due to lockdown so it didn't actually hinder my relationship very much with uh with the um with my with my team um and it was really nice having kind of a, a small and mighty team as well that I already need to some, some extent. What about you, Miriam? I have been living my best life, I have to say. Um, but yes, I'm, I'm the same as Liv, that I n knew all my uh, prod team from various other shows, even though Flo is actually a fresher so we were saying the other day we've actually only met in person about three or four times when we were rehearsing for another show which is now um which has now moved online um so we have spent hours and hours and hours on zoom, on zoom together and her generally listening to me use the same banter with every member of the cast which i'm sure she loves um but i think um what what is interesting is that there are a whole number of the cast that i've never met in person um which is a is strange in a sense but i agree with liv that when you work with people uh on such a, a human level and particularly when you're looking at in the case of grace very human monologues and similarly um to what it sounds like you and immy have been doing uh really breaking down characters intentions and how you feel and how the character feels here and <sighs> why the mood shifts etc etc you you do get an insight into the way someone thinks very quickly i think and i i would love to be able to hug the cast and and meet them when the the time is right but i think and um, it has been really lovely to get to know them even 
via a slightly strange medium um and it feels strange almost to say that I haven't met them in real life because I feel like I have um but um but I guess yeah you just establish a dynamic don't you and laugh at the lag and when it cuts out and when you drop out and they drop out and and so it becomes a bit of a joke and it becomes part of the whole experience um but yes I I have loved it I, I have to say I don't know Ryan how, how have you found it um I don't, I don't think it's been as social as as the two of you I, I think perhaps it might be monologue where it's just like you and one other person talking about doing one thing mm-hmm. whereas when it's you know a scene with three people in it they sort of riff against each other and sort of the direction um, I mean, that's probably, that might be more my direction style than anything, actually, but um, there's been a sort of less back and forth. Um, and, and we haven't done like, a social or anything, but obviously we've got the quiz night coming up, so that should be good fun. Mm. Um, mm, yeah. yeah. How did you find directing alongside the writing, Ryan? Well, uh, definitely when I was still thinking it would be on the stage, I was panicking a lot. And I think I've now decided I'm not going to direct theatre. Um, mm-hmm. Just because I think I can sort of handle actors, but I can't handle like anything else. I can't handle like sets, I can't handle vision. Um, <laughs> but directing an, the audio drama was much better because it is just actors. And then um, we essentially went through each sort of scene by scene and then so normally what would happen is we'd get a little bit of the way through and then I'd say then I'd give a bit of direction and then we'd start again and once I had the sort of general tone of it we'd just go through a scene and then at the end we'd then like do pickups for any bits where either it was like the delivery of a certain line was sort of not quite I don't know, they'd interpreted it in a different way or um, or even like there were quite a lot of times I just missed out a word in the script that happened like at least ten <laughs> times, so we had. But um, it's, it's you know it, it's good for the actors that, I mean it's a, a a testament to the actors that a lot of the time they would read it as it was, um, whereas if if rather than filling in any empty words, uh, <laughs> yeah. And did you find that the character interpretations tended to fit what you'd imagined or were they very different well, well I'm, I, I definitely don't I probably don't respect actors as much as you do <laughs> probably I'm like very much right this this is what it is right this is what you're doing <laughs> this is why I cast you because <laughs> you're better at this than the other people so <laughs> But that's that's actually similar. Well, you know, that's what I find really interesting about direction because I feel like you're either really, really, you know, you're either a Ryan or you're a Miriam. I feel like Olivia's somewhere in between. But, uh, you know, you're, you, either things, either you're like, you know, do whatever you want and I'm, I love it and it comes out so well. Or, you know, you have a very kind of set way to kind of go. You have a very clear picture of what you want. Uh, but is it is it something kind of in terms of directing you've, because I, when I started out, I was more like Ryan and I feel like I've become more like <laughs> the lovely ladies on the call. But uh, like, is this something you kind of develop? Is this, do you feel like the need to kind of direct when you know you shouldn't? Or do you, do you feel the need to kind of nitpick? Because I know that when you're directing, you know, you have, and you have a certain idea in your mind, you know, mm-hmm. it, do you know what I mean? It's, is it, is that something you kind of noticed while directing? Yes, I do. I I do think that I um tend to swing more towards Ryan's style later in the process. I'm I'm very very interested in everyone's interpretations and and their thoughts because I I feel often they notice more things than I do. But I do get very nitpicky. I think the cast will tell you that we did quite a lot of stop start runs where almost after every sentence I'd be like, oh, could I just could we just yeah. have a go? Have, just have a look at that line again. Right. Can, um, you, can you stress this syllable? And yeah, that syllable? Yeah. I did that quite a lot. <laughs> yeah, could you emphasize? this word and can I see can I see this thought before you do so so yeah so I think um 
I think for me, I I definitely found that I was very, very keen to gather everyone's interpretations, but I, I also did have lots of ideas and uh, character links that I felt were important to make. Um, so, so then I, I became probably a lot more nitpicky as the, as the process progressed. Um, but yeah, so I'd say kind of, kind of a mix. But I don't know, what about you, Liv? Do, are you more um, nitpicky line stop starty or what's your general style? Um, I'd say I'm I'm a little bit of a, a mix as well. I went into the audition process having a very clear idea of who I wanted Sam to be um, as kind of a character in terms of like I wanted them to be you know witty and be sarcastic, but also have this kind of deeper kind of level of pain and trauma that you can kind of see poking through. And um, I I know that Evie must have got a little bit mad at me at some points because there were so, there there were like auditions that were really really good but I just when as soon as they left I was like I don't know what it is but it, I it, they're just they're just not Sam and if they if they had asked for feedback then I I would have given them some really awful feedback and they wouldn't have been happy with it at all um but I was lucky enough to um, find some, find someone, find uh, Amy, who was very, um, very clearly like, pretty much what I had Im- imagined Sam to be. Um, so, a lot of that was kind of natural, and what I wanted with something as kind of as uh, as isolated as a one-person show that is about half half an hour long with a, a character talking about their deepest thoughts has to be very natural it it can't it can't be kind of simulated or what kind of contrary to what an actor is kind of like naturally doing um so a lot of that I kind of left for kind of me and Emmy to and, and Evie to discuss um and a lot of it came very naturally there were certain bits I was like yeah, you have to emphasise this word, or you have to feel this kind of emotion during this. During this, but a lot of it was kind of, I guess, um, pushing Amy to decide for herself how she wanted to say something, or kind of think for herself about kind of motives or kind of the story that Sam is going through during this, you know, this particular section. So it was, it was in the end quite collaborative with a few kind of pointers from me. And I was actually, I was quite collaborative at the beginning. I did have a, um, after the first read-through, I was like, right, do you have any notes? And then we'll, we'll change the script. So I did change quite a bit at that stage. But then when it came to actually doing it, that was when it was quite rigid. Yeah, yeah. I feel like, and, and I'm still a very inexperienced director. This is the first show I've officially directed. I assistant directed one last year. Um, but I, I definitely found it was a bit of a push and pull and um, that you had to work out what to let go of and what to hold on to and what actually would be better if you let go of it and what would be better if you held on to it, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, so let, letting people in and also... Um, having to make some executive decisions it was it was a balance of those things i found i had to get rid of quite a few almost sort of offhand jokes that were just sort of getting in the way of the drama but i thought were sort of decent jokes <laughs> yeah. that's probably the most the most stuff that got that I had to go yeah yeah there, yeah there were definitely a couple of things where there was one particular line in one monologue that Flo was rightfully not a fan of at all and um, we had it in the audition speech so every time someone did it I could see her getting more and more um, I silently irate um, and so we did we did change that and I think um that was absolutely the right decision and there was another monologue where one of the actors did it for the recall and then once we cast her asked me about reordering it because she said that in the recall extract you very much see this woman as a human to start with and then you realize later on that she's a mother whereas in the the paragraph order that I had for the overall monologue she's introduced as a mother and she thought it would be really cool to introduce her just as a woman to start with and then get into her psyche and then the fact that she's a mother is part of her but not her whole identity and um and so similarly 
to you, Ryan, I was very glad that people felt like they could say and we could have those discussions. And then for the most part, I could go, oh, yeah, obviously, that's so much better. And then and then swap it over. So so, yeah, so that was really interesting. It is it is quite interesting how sometimes if you're a lot of kind of the first couple of read throughs um, with mine, um, it was a lot of kind of this this bit is clunky this needs rewording there was one particular paragraph that I was particularly attached to um that we ended up having to uh get rid of and kind of rewrite completely um which I was a little bit sad about but it ended up being um for the best because it was a a rather clunky wordy nonsensical paragraph (laughs) that I had thought of in my 2am uh existential rambling (laughs) So um yeah, a lot of kind of the first couple of read throughs it was it was kind of stop start like is there anything that you had trouble with? Um, is there anything that kind of needs to be changed or reworded? So a lot of that kind of first little bits of editing there was just a lot of kind of working out how best to say things that kind of flowed more naturally that you know, you can't you can't really tell when you're writing something down um, until you actually have someone say it out loud. So a lot of that kind of first, first kind of part of the audition process and the rehearsal process was was kind of working out that. Mm-mm. Yeah, I completely agree actually, and I think sometimes when something's in your head, you need someone to take it out of your head, don't you, to to really be able to listen to it back. I remember when I was drafting and um, one of the monologues. I got one of my friends on FaceTime to to read it once, which again I'm sure he was thrilled about. Um, but um, we realised with him reading it that the the pacing of it and where and some of the punctuation didn't quite fit. And because I think in life I tend to speak quite quickly, I'd written it the way that I speak, and so I it makes you stop and think actually how what's the characters punctuation pattern and when does he breathe and when does this move and I think sometimes you need someone to read it to you um so then you're not reading it in your own speech pattern or hearing it in in your own head I yeah I totally agree well sometimes you can even just read it yourself out loud Mm. Mm. and that works I was definitely thinking like what you're saying about the way you speak and that that's probably the big thing I need to get away from is um writing in such a way that writing with different voices because my first play they were all politicians so they sort of could all have the same voice and this they're all related to each other so they could sort of all have the same voice and I think next my next thing I want to make sure I want more distinctive characters I think wonderful I think we're very closely reaching the time because it's been almost an hour but um, yeah, I think that's probably it for today. It was lovely having you guys, and uh, I can't wait to watch all of your plays in all of the different formats and and listen. Oh yeah, and have a listen, obviously. Yeah. Um. <laughs> and you could you could watch it as well, but you don't have to. You could do, you could do the the dishes yeah, at the same time. Yeah, I'll, I'll give both a try. I'll let you know. Um, cool, wonderful. Purple Radio podcasts. Thanks for downloading this Purple Radio podcast. For more great content and to listen live, head to purpleradio.co.uk.